The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 135 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. We've got a fantastic show for you. Before we jump into this week's conversation, I do want to thank our reviewers this week on Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you to Old KLT and GDog11345 for your incredible five-star reviews. We so greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, this week in the conversation, my guest, Diane Southard, she is an expert in all things DNA and genealogy and has such a great conversion story herself and shares a, an amazing genealogy story about her mom. And she was so engaging and such a wonderful person to talk to, and you will love this conversation. And coming up this week in my Latter-day Life, grief, it's weird and it is real. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And my guest today here on the Latter-day Lives podcast is an expert in DNA and genealogy, Diane Southard. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to have you on. So uh, tell us where you're recording from. Well, I'm actually recording poolside here in sunny South Florida. I, I hesitate to say that even because I feel like when you start telling people that you have gorgeous weather all year long and when you're stuck in quarantine <laughs> but you have a pool, people just get a little grumpy about that. Um, but yeah, that's where I am. All right, I am a little bit jealous. I won't. I won't get grumpy, but I am a little bit jealous. <laughs> okay, I that's love fair. Florida. Why don't you start off telling us a little bit about where you're from? Okay, well, I grew up in Washington State, and um, I love the perspective that getting older gives you on previous episodes in your life. <laughs> um, <laughs> and while I lived in Washington State, I didn't realize how horribly dreary and rainy it is, like all the time, because. <laughs> When you're a kid, it's just how life is, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I I don't think I could ever go back and live there again because I've recognized what it's like to live in the sun, as we just mentioned. Um, yeah. But it was a wonderful place to grow up. My parents were the best kind of parents. They encouraged my sister and I, I have one older sister, to just grow up and be and do whatever you wanted to. Um, I felt like there were no limits whatsoever on what I could do or achieve and there was there was never any doubt in my mind that I could actually become whatever I wanted to become. And it's just a huge gift that my parents gave me. Um, awesome. And, and part of that, I, I mean, again, we can look back at our lives and see all the ways that Heavenly Father has influenced where we've ended up. But um, I didn't grow up a member of the church. I'm, I'm a convert. Mm. And, um, oh. and so even that part, um, I joined the church when I was 17. And even though my parents definitely had some hesitations, um, my mom, for example, when she was a kid, she grew up next door to some members. And unfortunately, um, the 
the dad in the home was just not a good person. Um, and so then she equated that persona with all male members of the church, that they were kind of abusive, mm. um, domineering people. And so basically all she said to me when I said I want to join the church was, are you sure? Because I don't think you'll be happy there. Uh, that, you know, that's mm. all she wanted to say because from her experience, she knew I wouldn't be happy in that kind of environment. Um, right. So, yeah, but they were, they're, they're all in. My parents are amazing. Yeah. So I that grew up in Washington awesome. state and, and I loved it then, but I wouldn't go back. <laughs> now, when, when you do go back, because I, I've always thought, you know, it'd be tough. I served a mission where it rained 300 days a year, but, uh, but when I go, I love it. I love it there. I don't know if I'd live in that much rain, but do you at least love it when you go back and visit? I love it. I yeah. love it. I love the green. I love the dreary. I love everything about it. But, yeah, you know, I don't beautiful. think I've ever been home for more than two weeks at a time since I left at age 18. So I don't know how long <laughs> I would love it, but I have, I do love it. Yes, for sure. So growing up, you're not a member of the church. What were you into? What was your life like? Oh, I was such a good kid. I mean, you think if I was going to, you know, not be a member, at least I could have like had some, sown some wild oats or something. But no, I was, I was very good. And, and really, um, and we talk, so I have close friends from high school and we still talk all the time. And that's very rare. I know for someone who's been graduated from high school for over 20 years to still have good close contact with lots of people from their graduating class. But, you know, I had 125 kids in my graduating class. It was a very small school. We were all yeah. very close and all the kids were good kids. Like we had mm. the best class. And again, I feel like it's just one more layer that Heavenly Father was adding saying, I know what's ahead for you, Diane. So I'm going to place you in these situations so you won't get into trouble so that awesome. when the gospel does come to your life, you'll be in a position to receive it and embrace it. And I just, I feel like from everything, from my parents and my upbringing to the kids I ran around with in school, like every part of my life was positioned so that when I was ready and, and introduced to the gospel, I would recognize it and embrace it. That is beautiful. Tell us about your conversion story. Well, it's actually pretty awesome. Um, it's one of my favorite stories. And I love to tell sure. it because I love, again, I love how you can see in anyone's life, convert or not, how Heavenly Father does arrange all of these pieces in order and in this grand design so that everything fits and falls into place exactly when it should. Um mm. I, my sister and I actually started going to church together when we were really young, um, just to an average um, evangelical Christian church. So I was always spiritually inclined, and I always wanted to learn more. Um, but eventually, I became a convert through the flirt to convert method of uh, <laughs> joining the church. Love the so, flirt to convert. You know, it's really effective. Um, so I was dating this boy in high school. I was only 15. So his mom was like, whoa, hold on. She's not 16. Shouldn't be dating her. Um, <laughs> thankfully, he didn't listen. And um, honestly, for our dates, we would sit around and talk religion. That's what we did. I Really? At so 15? Smart. Yes. And I had tons of questions. And I was just fascinated by the idea of religion. And he was so... Uh, he was such a good boy and such a good kid. And he, 
he had gone to seminary, paid attention. I mean, he was very well versed in his own religion. And so he knew the answers to all my questions. And so for me, it was a very intellectual exercise. I was just fascinated by doctrine. I was fascinated by the fact that there was a prophet. Like all of those things were just interesting to me on an intellectual Mm. level. And then, so we'd been dating a few months and we were coming up on Valentine's Day. And it's my very first Valentine's Day with a boyfriend. And I was way excited. You know, you walk into high school on Valentine's Day morning and the whole office is filled with like flowers and balloons and teddy bears and, you know, all waiting to be delivered that last period of the day. And so all day I'm like walking by the office and I'm thinking, one of those is for me. I know it. And I was just like so excited. Yeah. Come last period of the day, I didn't get anything, nothing, not a flower, not a balloon. And I was like, what's up with this guy? So, yeah. So after school, I was like, hey. And he's like, hey, so I have something for you, but I just wanted to bring it to your house. And I was like, perfect. Yes. Come over. Bring me some fantastic (laughs) Valentine's Day gift. So he came over and he had this little gift bag. And I opened the gift bag and it's two classical music CDs, which... I was like, okay. Mm. He played the violin like he's a really good violinist. And so these were his two favorite pieces on the violin. And I was like, okay, that's all right because there's more in the bag. And then I look in and it's a Book of Mormon. (laughs) Uh, Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Really? A Book of Mormon and two classical CDs? So I look at him and I probably had this look on my face like, are you for real? (laughs) And yeah. And he says, I love it. I just, you are so important to me that I wanted to give you the two other things in my life that are so important to me. Oh, that's really sweet. That is actually really nice. And so it was okay. But so then I had this book of Mormon and I, my original intention in reading it was just to find things that were wrong with it. So I could be like, Hey, look, this is wrong. (laughs) You know? Um, right. It didn't take me long to figure out. I couldn't really find that because it was mostly just stories about people and stuff they were doing. And so I didn't read that much of it. So we dated for like two years and his mom was getting really nervous that I was going to keep him home from a mission. So (laughs) literally the day after his high school, so he was two years ahead of me in high school. So the day after his high school graduation, she put him on a plane and sent him to Louisiana to live with his sister. I mean, he'd always plan on serving a mission. We had no problem with that. And so we just broke up because we figured, well, you're going to go work and then go on your mission when you're 19 and it'll be fine. And so we did. We broke up and then he served his mission and we wrote letters throughout his mission. And he was a good missionary and he shared, you know, spiritually uplifting stories with me. And, you know, I wrote to him and everything and it was great. Um, And about probably halfway through his mission, I started meeting with the missionaries um, in my ward and it was okay, you know, but I figured I already had most of my questions already answered by my friend. And so I didn't find that much value in meeting with the missionaries because, again, I wasn't approaching this from a spiritual perspective. It was all intellectual. Right. Um, but enough had happened and I'd learned enough that I stopped going to my church, my Christian church. Mm. And so I was kind of like churchless, which I did not like. And eventually I found this book of Mormon that he'd given me like buried under a bunch of other stuff. And I started to read it, uh, but this time with real intent. And I remembered learning from the missionaries, what Joseph Smith did, that he took James up on his offer and asked 
the Lord if this is true or not. And I thought, well, I can do that, right? So awesome. now it's uh, the summer before my senior year in high school. I went out into a patch of grass in my backyard and I knelt just like Joseph Smith did. And I said a prayer and I felt that undeniable confirmation of the spirit that this this was correct. That I needed to do this. I needed to walk down this path however far it took me. And so it was an amazing and beautiful and powerful experience. And oh my I gosh, remember that's like, so awesome. right. And it was sunny. That's probably why I remember it because <laughs> the sun it sunny out. in Washington. It was yes. the sun shone through just for you, <laughs> just for me. But then, so I stand up and I'm in my backyard and I've just had this amazing experience and I don't know what to do next. You know, like, yeah. okay, I'm now ready what? to do something, but what is that something? Um, I had a few, um, member friends in high school, but we weren't really close. And so I thought about calling them, but then it was kind of like awkward. And so I let a few days go by and I was sitting on my front porch and I don't live in, we don't live in a really like a neighborhood. It was like a kind of a rural street. I mean, we had neighbors, but it wasn't like people just walked on our street, but I was sitting on the porch and I look across the street and I see the missionaries. And I was oh like, gosh. what? The missionaries? Perfect. <laughs> They'll know what to do. So I walk across the street and I say, elders. And, you know, they greet me. And, and then I said, so I want to be baptized. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to picture, Diane, I'm trying to picture having been a missionary. I'm trying to picture just walking down the street and having a girl run up and say, I would like to be baptized. I knelt and prayed about the Book of Mormon and it's true, and I want to be baptized. I love this. Right? Exactly. And so they were trying to act all cool about it, you know, like it happens to them every day. And they said, <laughs> okay, well, um, you need to take the discussions first, right? You can't just, you know, pop into the water. So um, they said, well, how about you come to church on Sunday, and then we'll set up some discussions, and we'll get your young women leader involved and all of that. And I was like, sounds good. So Sunday, I show up at church, and like I said, I knew a couple of other girls from my school, but I was really looking for the missionaries who were expecting me. And so I spot two missionaries in the back, but these weren't my missionaries. These were two other mm. missionaries. So in between the time I had met the missionaries and Sunday, the area had been whitewashed. So my two missionaries were transferred out, and there were two new missionaries transferred in. And so I was like, oh, great. <laughs> they don't even know me. So I went, and I just sat by myself in the back. And then afterwards, after sacrament meeting, I went up to the two missionaries, and I said, hi, you know, I met so-and-so earlier, and I think I have an appointment with you guys. And they introduced themselves, and they said, hello, I'm Elder Blazard. And then the other missionary shakes my hand and says, hello, I'm Elder Southard. Does that sound familiar? Yes. <laughs> yes. Sounds very familiar. Yeah. Yes. So that Elder Southern was um, actually called to serve in Portugal. And he's, he went to the MTC, um, but when his time at the MTC was up, they did not have a visa for him. So he was actually just visa waiting in Washington State. And I did end up getting baptized. They taught me I was baptized um, in August before my senior year in high school. And then about two weeks after I was baptized, Elder Southard got his visa and he served the rest of his mission in Portugal. That is amazing. So, Diane Southard, there's definitely the rest of the story to this one. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can put two and two together. <laughs> right, right. Yes. So now that I wasn't in his mission anymore, he could write to me. So he actually wrote me a Christmas card. And then we wrote letters throughout the rest of his mission. 
And, um, you know, people ask me, oh, did you know right away that you were going to marry him when you met him? And it's like laughable, like no way. Like he's like the last person on earth I thought I would marry when we met. He's really tall. He's like 6'3", and I'm like 5'5". And he was really gangly. I mean, he's this 19-year-old like kid, right? He's kind of scrawny. And he was just such a dork, you know, like <laughs> like super nice guy, you know, but like just awkward kind of. Um, yeah. But what I didn't know then that I learned later was that he is an amazing writer. And so mm. – as soon as he started writing to me, that's when I fell in love with him. Yeah. Suddenly life has changed. You're a member of the church. You're writing this guy. You graduate from high school. What came next? So I went to um, a community college in Maryland on a volleyball scholarship, actually. And hmm. I played volleyball in Maryland. Um, but school at a community college isn't really the college experience I wanted, And um, I loved being away from home. I loved being on my own. I loved my ward in Maryland. So I'd only been a member of the church for a year. And they just wrapped me up and took such good care of me. I have... I just love, love, love my my Ward family in Maryland. And all of them were these huge BYU fans. <laughs> and so <laughs> when I started talking about school and not really being satisfied where I am, they're like, well, you should go to BYU. And I was like, eh, I don't know. It's a lot of Mormons. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 you'll love BYU. And so I ended up applying and, and transferring to BYU my sophomore year. So Awesome. How was your BYU experience? Oh my gosh. Loved it. I loved it. I remember yeah. like the first day on campus, I sat like in the quad and I just watched people walk by and I was like, he's a Mormon. She's a Mormon. She's a Mormon. He's a Mormon. <laughs> I there's so many Mormons. Like, it's like amazing. There's plenty of Mormon spotting it. at BYU. That's for sure. My favorite part about BYU is how interwoven the gospel is into every aspect of your life there. And mm. how your professors openly speak about gospel principles while they're teaching you other things. And especially for me, because I was a science major. So there's so much, obviously, of Heavenly Father in science. And so it was amazing to be sitting in class and learning these principles and have your professor relate them to the gospel. It, it was amazing. It was seamless. There was, there was no difference between those things at all. And I, I loved learning that science and religion can coexist so perfectly when so much of the world says those are two different religions. You're either a scientist or you're spiritual. Like you can't be both. And yeah. at BYU, you are totally both all the time. And Elder Southern must have come home. I, I don't know your husband's first name, so I'm going to keep calling him Elder Southern can, for now. Yeah, it's cute. I like to call him that sometimes. Yeah, um, I bet. <laughs> so he, um, yeah, so he was from Utah. And so he, when I got to BYU, he was one of two people I knew in the whole state. And so yeah. um, he he met my mom when she helped drive my stuff down to BYU and took us on a tour of Temple Square and all of that. And so we really started dating right, basically right when I got to BYU. And we dated most of that first semester when I was at BYU. And then it, we just kind of broke up. Like, I think it was like, we were just really good friends and neither of us were like, this is the most amazing, passionate relationship I've ever been in. We must get married, you know. I get home on my Christmas break, and of course, everybody in my ward knows I've been at BYU for a whole semester, and they're totally aghast that I'm not engaged yet. And, <laughs> you know, everybody's asking, well, yeah. did you meet any boys, you know? And, and every time someone would ask me, I would just have this picture of Jared, that's my husband's name, in my head, and I was like, why aren't we dating? 
he's everything I want. We're so compatible. He's so intelligent. I love talking to him. I feel so comfortable around him. We have such a great time together. He makes me laugh. Like, what in the world am I thinking? Of course, why shouldn't we be dating? And so then we started dating. You know, really, we're grateful for his dad because I don't think we would be together if it wasn't for his dad. His dad was a a mortgage broker and he had this huge oak desk. And Jared used to Mm. clean the office for him at night as part of his job. And so I would come sometimes and help him clean. And his dad says, come in here, sit down. And so he sits us down across from this huge desk and he leans back in his chair, like puts his hands behind his head and he's just looking at us. He's not saying anything. And I'm getting really uncomfortable and he's just looking at us. (laughs) And then he leans forward in his chair, puts his elbows on his desk, leans like straight across the desk. And he's like, tell me about Lehigh. What? Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, tell me about Lehigh. Tell me about that tree of life. What happened? And we were like looking at each other and we're like, uh, well, he, he found the fruit and he ate it. And he's like, exactly. And what did he do after he tried the fruit for himself? And we were like, uh, he gave it to his family. And he said, exactly. That's what I'm doing for you. I have tasted of the fruit of the tree. I have tasted uh, of the fruit. And I want you to taste it now. That's really cool. Yeah. I think and that's he, really cool. He just left. He left us in an empty office to talk it Hmm. over. At some point in your life, you definitely get very interested in DNA and genealogy. How did that come about? Well, so it happened at that time at BYU. So you can actually trace this back to my high school English teacher. He told all of us graduating seniors that the best thing we could do for our career was when we got to college was to find a professor who's researching something we were interested in and get involved. Oh, that's so so smart. I give that advice to every graduating senior I come across because it literally changed my life. And um, so I wanted to do something with DNA, with genetics. And so I walk into the microbiology department at BYU and I ask the secretary for a list of what the professors are researching, which she has. And I look down and I'm like, okay, virology, boring bacteria, even more (laughs) boring. And then there was Dr. Scott Woodward, who was researching what it, it said on their archaeogenetics, which is turned out to be the genetics of ancient Egyptian mummies. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was like, um, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'm in. So I started volunteering in the lab. And um, basically, what happened was that project was studying this burial site 60 miles outside of Cairo, Egypt, but there was no town associated with the site, which is totally odd. Like, where did these people Mm. come from? Who were they? And so it was an interdisciplinary study to try to figure this out. And we were working with the DNA. The problem was we could figure out what the DNA of the people in the burial site looked like, but there was nobody to compare it against. So we couldn't find out who they were related to. What we needed was a global genetic database. So this is back in 2000. And essentially this idea of Dr. Scott Woodward's gets around to a man named James Sorensen, who is a philanthropist there in the Salt Lake area. And he hears about this idea that if we could create this global database, that essentially anyone could find out who they were and where they were from. And he said, 
I, I will support this. And he donated millions of dollars to the creation of the first genetic genealogy database. So we called it the Sorensen Molecular Genealogy Foundation. So I worked for the foundation. So while other kids were like, I don't know what other kids at BYU did on weekends, but I spent the weekends traveling to strange places like nowhere, Louisiana, to gather <laughs> blood samples from really? people who were willing to give their blood and a four-generation pedigree chart. We traveled around the United States mostly, some some international, but I only did um, the United States. And we'd go in pairs. So me and another girl, we'd get on a plane and we'd travel somewhere. We'd find a rental car and we'd drive to these chapels in the middle of nowhere where someone had arranged a meeting of two or 300 people. I'd get up in front of the people and I'd give this lecture about what DNA and genealogy could do for us. And people would line up to give their blood to me and their four generation pedigree charts. That is amazing. Yeah, it really, really is. The amazing thing about it is, is when, when this project was first pitched to me, we were in the basement of the Irings, uh, I'm sorry, of the Benson building on BYU campus. It's the fishbowl, if anybody's a BYU grad in the fishbowl. We were in the basement. <laughs> and Dr. Woodward looked at all of us and he said, I know that there will be a day when someone can give their DNA to our database and we'll be able to tell them not just that they're from England or Ireland, but what small location in those places that they're from. And what's more, we'll be able to tell them who they're related to. We'll be able to find their DNA cousins. And I remember thinking, this could change the world. This could change yeah. how we see ourselves. This could change how people see each other. And that was Mr. Sorensen's vision. He wanted people to know that at a molecular level, we're all the same, we mm. have so much commonality. And he said, if we can just show people that, it will change the way people deal and and work with each other. Were there a lot of other people doing this kind of studying? We were the first and really the only. So we started in 2000. We built this database that eventually was sold to Ancestry DNA. If everyone, if anybody's taken a test at Ancestry <laughs> DNA, yeah, our database was the foundation of that test. It it became no the framework kidding. on which Ancestry built their product. And the thing that made the the Sorensen database unique is that we were collecting genealogy as well, because there's the DNA is no good on its own. It, it can't mm. tell you anything without that genealogy layer. So it was really this amazing marriage of these two disciplines, this DNA genetic information with this genealogy information. You have to have both because otherwise you're lost. You, you, you can't piece together anybody's story based only on their DNA. It requires genealogy as well. Many of our early you know, donors were members of the church because we understand that the records that we have are limited. And if we are going to offer salvation to every soul who has ever walked the earth, records are not going to cut it. Uh, how long were you with the foundation? Well, I was with the foundation until they were sold to Ancestry. And, um, yeah. and at that time, I was a young mother. So I had kept working kind of, they were the best employer because they knew family came first. And so I stayed home and had my kids, but I would come into work maybe once a week. I worked on a lot of special projects. Um, when we started Relative Genetics, we started the year before I had my first baby. And so I trained all of our, our executive team because none of them knew what we did. <laughs> they were hired, not because they knew how to, what DNA was, but because they were good at what they 
knew how to do. And so I had to teach them everything. So I worked really closely with our executive team. I worked really closely with our marketing team um, and learned how to, how to write content, learned how to write website, learned how to, I learned so much from them that again, and you're looking back at, if you're looking back at my life and how did I end up now being a business owner myself? Like I never could have made it here without all of these lessons I was taught in this very beginning right. stage of this really new company. And so it was all preparing me, I think, for what I'm doing right now, which is um, just offering DNA education to anybody who wants to learn. Because now lots of people have taken a DNA test, millions, but they don't know yeah. what to do with it. I wanted to jump into that because I see that. I see a lot of people who, you know, I mean, I gave my wife a, a DNA test for Christmas. So you kind of get it and you see this data and you go, huh, okay. Well, cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, what what you know, does this mean? So and how does, yeah. This was the early 2000s. Has the technology changed a lot since then? Or is it just the way we use it? So much. It's changed so much. Mm. Um, and that's been this another... This will tell you how much I know about it, by the way. Right? This will tell you no, my, my deep knowledge. I know nothing about what we're talking about. You're the kind of person I talk to all the time because most people are you. Very few people are me. Um, and so I think the biggest change um, has been that when we started all of this, we only had two kinds of DNA we could test. We could test what we call mitochondrial DNA, which traces only your mother's line. So your mom's, 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 mom's line. Or we could test Y DNA, which was only for men, and it cha- it chases your direct male line, your father's, 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 father. So mm. when I tell people I've been working in the industry for 20 years, they can't believe me because they don't even think it's been an industry for 20 years. Because <laughs> people didn't start hearing about this until companies like 23andMe and Ancestry started offering their test. And their test isn't this direct line testing of the Y and mitochondrial. Their test is called autosomal. Autosomal DNA comes from both of your parents. You get half your DNA from your mom and half your DNA from your dad. That's Mm. the kind of DNA they're testing now. And that's only been available since 2007, but really has only been popular since maybe 2011 or 2012. So you left the foundation once it was sold. Uh, You raised kids. You got this family going. And somehow at some point here, you transitioned into being a business owner. How did that come about? I thought after the foundation was sold um, and I didn't have a job anymore and I had a couple kids that I could just be done working now. I could just stay home and I could like be PTA president and I could, you know, have cookies ready after school and like be this mom that I wanted to be. (laughs) And so basically I told Heavenly Father, fantastic, let's let's quit this whole working thing and let's let's just be a stay at home mom. And, And the answer was very clear. He said, nope you need to stay in this industry. You need to stay in this business. And I was like, well, how? My job just got sold. And um, two of my friends who are also working for the foundation said, well, let's start our own company. Let's start a a DNA education company. And Mm. I was like, oh, no, Mm -mm, I am not an entrepreneur. I have no interest (laughs) in that at all. But I didn't have any other options. And they were very persuasive. And one of my friends was not married and did not have any other source of income. So I think I kind of did it for her so that she could have something. Um, 
But about three months into that, she got a real job with Ancestry. And so she went to work for them. <laughs> and then there was just two of us left. And um, Ugo Perigo is my other partner. And he had taken a job with the church. And so I ended up just going out on my own. So I just celebrated my six-year What's anniversary you? as my own company. It's called Your DNA Guide. And like I said, I came into this entrepreneur thing kicking and screaming. I did not. Like I listened to these entrepreneur podcasts and everyone's like, oh, I had lemonade stands as a kid and I always knew this is what I wanted. And I was like, not me. So let's take this to uh, a level where even a basic, basic idiot can understand. Well, let's take me. I will say I just got my DNA test from one of the myriad of testing services and I reach out to you. Tell me what your company does then. Okay, so we've got a couple options. So the first like entry level is we've written these four pages. They're called quick sheets. And it's like I say it's everything you need to know and nothing more. So if you've tested with my heritage, I have a quick sheet about my heritage. And it's just gonna tell you the basics of the the parts of the website that are most important, explain to you essentially what you see when you log in and where you need to click and how to use just the basic functions of the website so that you can just jump right in and get started doing something. Gotcha. So we have those quick sheets for every company and a couple of methodology quick sheets to kind of help you no matter what company you've tested at. Okay. And then um, in February, I released my first book, which was a huge undertaking and mm. um, very exciting. So the book, I wanted it to be um, useful, like not just like a reference that you could read if you wanted to, but something that took you step by step through the whole find an ancestor process. Like if you wanted to find your two times great grandfather, I... I bring you to the book and you open the book and you choose, okay, today I'm going to look for my two times great grandfather. And I say, okay, Sean, turn to page 42. So then you look at page 42 and on page 42, I'm going to ask you a series of questions about the results that you have. So you log into your testing company and I ask you a question. You look at the screen and you're like, okay, I have situation C. And so situation C, you turn to page 42. And so then you're going to flip over to page 42. And then I'm going to tell you, okay, before you do this part, you've got to go back to the reference section. I need you to read in the reference section this section. So you have to go read that, and then you come back. And so it's like a choose-your-own-adventure book, kind of. Um, wow. So it really walks you through how to get the results. Yes. Yes. That I, is so neat. I love the points in your life when you can feel the spirit like really guiding you, when you feel like you're on the path, you know, the path, the one that is leading you somewhere the Heavenly Father wants you to go. And that's how it was with this book. Like I wrote it in like three and a half months. And every step of the way, I was like, I don't know what to do next. I, I'm stuck, right? And as I yeah. thought about it and prayed about it and I thought and thought, and then all of a sudden it was that, that inspiration that you know and recognize as a spirit saying, it's just one simple idea. And I was like, oh yeah, that's it. And I would just keep going. <laughs> and it was such a wonderful experience. Like, if, if nothing else, if no one ever read the book, it wouldn't even matter to me because I felt so good about doing it. I just knew it was the right thing to do, you know? Um, and then you also have the mentoring that you do. Right, yeah. So then if you, if you just want someone to sit down with you and look through your results with you, I have a lot of people who have have learned a lot. Like there's a lot of online resources. There's a lot of conferences you can go to. I travel and lecture a lot, or I used to. Um, so you can go, you can learn a lot on your own about this stuff. And, but then you get into your own results and you start to do the things that you've seen other people do. And you're like, am I doing it right? 
am I missing yeah. something? Or maybe you find an ancestor, but you're like, did I find the right one? Is this right? And so I do a lot of what I call just looking over your shoulder. And so I do a lot of verifying what you already have done. And then I can say, okay, mm. stop right there. This is where you took a misstep or this is what you didn't look at, or did you try this? And so it's often, it's a real collaboration session where I'm sharing ideas and you're sharing ideas. And at the end, you have some concrete next steps about what you need to do. I love this. Just awesome. So do you have an example of since you've started your company, someone who has had a a breakthrough? I have so many examples. Um, But of course, my favorite is in my own family. My mom was adopted. And so we found her mm. family through DNA. You found your mom's family through yes. DNA. Yes. Talk about that. Oh my gosh. It is, it's been an incredible journey. Um, so I told you about the foundation and how we were traveling and collecting blood samples and pedigree charts, right? So yeah. my mom being the super supportive person that she is, she came to visit us once, probably around Christmas. And I took her into the lab at BYU. I was still a student and we, I extracted her blood. Like I took her blood out of her arm. I'm not a phlebotomist, but I'd seen people do it a million times. I thought, how hard can it be? (laughs) So I took her blood and we processed it through the lab. Like I took her through the whole thing. She loves stuff like this. Um, eventually she was tested with some of the major companies and we started getting DNA matches. And the more I learned about, you know, from helping other people, the more I learned that mom, I think I could figure this out if you want to. And so we would talk about it off and on. And mostly she was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. She wanted the health information. So we tested at 23andMe and she got some health information that was really helpful. Nothing scary in her DNA. So that was really good. But she just was like, no, because really? she loved yeah. my grandma so much. And my grandma was so alive. My grandma mm. lived to be 100. Um, wow. And so she just didn't ever want my grandma to feel like she wanted a different life. You know, she, yeah. she just treasured her parents so much that she didn't ever want them to feel left out. So eventually, of course, my grandmother did pass away and we just started to get DNA matches that were closer and closer. And we would, you know, off and on again, I would investigate them and tell her what we found out and things like that. But then one Christmas, um, she was down here in Florida actually visiting us and I was, you know, doing a little bit of work and I just pulled up the Ancestry account and I noticed that she had a half brother. Mm. And so she's sitting over on the couch reading her book and I'm staring at the computer and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) do I tell her? Yeah. Right. So I turned to her and I said, mom, you have a new DNA match. And she said, I do. And I said, "Uh uh-huh. I think it's your half brother. So we decided to write to him through the Ancestry DNA email brokering service. So we waited and we waited. And this whole time, my sister, who was kind of against this in the beginning, she was like, see, Diane, I told you, you're just getting mom's hopes up. And and now it's going to turn out badly. And I was like, I know, I'm sorry. You know, older <laughs> sisters are always right. And um, anyway, so come April, now this is, you know, four months later, I was actually supposed to be giving a lesson to the youth about using family search. And so I thought I should come up with some cool examples for them. And so I thought, um, well, maybe I'll, I'll see if I can figure some things out. And so we'd, we'd requested my mom's original birth certificate and had a name for her mother, which we realized wasn't a real name. There wasn't anybody by this name um, mm. in the area. So we kind of decided it was from other things that we've learned that it was two names put together, um, two related people's names put together. And so 
I tried one of the names that I thought that it was in Family Search. I just put it in the search box and I found an obituary for this woman. Mm. And in the obituary, it listed all of her children, one of which I could tell was the username of the person at Ancestry. I was like, oh my gosh, this is really her and this is really him. And I had all this information about them and I knew where he was living and I knew all this stuff. Sure enough, I call, I get the answering machine, I leave my message. I just said, I think that we're family. Please call me back. Here's my number. And I hang up and like just when I thought I was like getting my breathing under control, like I did it. Yeah. I left a message. He calls me right back. No kidding. Right away. Right away. And I awesome. said, so did you, you know, recently take a test with Ancestry DNA? And he said, oh yeah, my daughter gave it to me for Christmas. And I said, well, if you look at your results, you'll see this. And I kind of tried to walk him through it and explain that I thought that he was my mom's half brother. And he was like, really? <laughs> And I said, yeah, I know it's a lot to take in. I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't expect anything from you. I just wanted to reach out. You know, I wanted to know you're there and I wanted to let introduce ourselves, you know, whatever. And he was like, well, hold on, let me get my wife. And so his wife picks up the other line and then we're on the phone for like 45 minutes. And they they are the most amazing, wonderful, welcoming, faithful family. Um, Awesome. It was just beautiful. And my mom, I have never seen her happier. I've never seen her. It's just a level of joy and connection that she had never had before that she has now. And they. Oh, Diane, I love this so much. It's so beautiful. And it is each other. They call each other. I mean, right now during quarantine, they're checking up on each other. And this is the message of the gospel, you know? Yes. This is this is the message of the gospel is it all comes together and through all these hardships and you know and family matters and that's why I think we're so into genealogy is because of this. Yes. I think that's so neat. Ah, oh, what a wonderful story and so does it make you just feel like all of this study and all of this work is just I mean above and beyond your business just well worth it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and even with my business like this is my story, of course, it's most personal and most beautiful to me, but I'm helping so many people create these stories for them. And it is the most fulfilling and rewarding experience to be on a call with someone. And it's happened so many times that I'm looking at their DNA results and I can see exactly what's going on. They don't know. And I'm, I get to tell them, I get to say, this is is what you were looking for. This is your second great grandfather who you've been looking for, for 30 years. This is the brick wall. It's just fallen down. It's, it's incredible. The power that DNA has to make connections that we could not make on our own. These, there's no record for this. There's no piece of paper you're going to find that tells you the answer. It's only through DNA. You're, you're a little bit of a, a, a DNA Indiana Jones. <laughs> you, you do. You kind of are adventuring through this world, finding the little clues, and this leads you to the next thing to the next thing. I, I know I, I'm not a genealogy guy, and I know nothing about DNA, and yet I'm excited by this now. Suddenly, I'm excited. Right? Yes. Like Don't I'm, you want to go look at your match list and see what kind of cousins you have and figure out how you're related to them and see if there's something that you're missing? I mean... And I'm embarrassed, but I haven't even done a, a DNA test. I've never done one. So now I'm inspired and motivated, and I'm going to do one. That's what I've decided out of all this. 
I'm so glad to hear that. And for any listener that is feeling like you are, I just have to say this one disclaimer that don't do it unless you really want to know the answers. Because while there are so many good and positive stories, there are a lot of very negative stories. Because for every connection that's found, often there is a disconnection made. And that's another big part of this soapbox I find myself on all the time is that family is more than DNA. Family is experience, it's Mm. culture, it's memories. And so, so many people have had their cores rocked by learning that their grandfather wasn't their grandfather or that their father wasn't their father. And these are hard things to take in. But I think it helps to understand that, that the guy that you grew up with is still your dad. He's still the yeah. guy who gave you away at your wedding. He's he's still that guy. It, it doesn't mm, change your relationship important. necessarily. It just adds a different dimension to it. And I think that's really important. So I, I feel like sometimes I get people excited enough to take a DNA test. And I just want to make sure you understand. Like you could find stuff that yeah. you didn't want to find or that you didn't know you didn't want to find. But I think it takes good perspective to make sure you're open-minded about it. For me, I feel like... Learning that your ancestor had a relationship that you didn't know about, to me, it brings into clear focus the power of mercy, the power of repentance, that right. all of us have so many dimensions to ourselves. And especially if it's your grandpa, who you only knew when he was 70, you know, you didn't know him yeah. as an 18 year old kid. And so, there's so much more to these people than what we know of them. And I think this just adds Mm. that extra part that helps us see how human we all are and how much we need the savior and how much we need grace. I just love it. Oh, I love it. And the truth will make you free. And the truth, it was the truth before you knew it. That's right. (laughs) And so now it's just, it's just another piece of who we are. It didn't, you finding it out. And that's the one thing about, uh, about finding out difficult truths. You finding it out is not what made it true. It was true before you found out. It's just now that you know it. Oh, but I can imagine how many joyous and how exciting, you know, I, I see people excited about genealogy. I will say that uh, I want to be excited about genealogy, and this conversation has done that. If people want to buy the book or they want to work with you and uh, one of your mentors, what's the best way for them to find you? So we're at yourdnaguide.com. And that's got the book. That's got the mentoring, kind of shows you Mm -hmm. uh, the different programs that you have. And you are... Like you are, uh, if I may say, semi-famous in this genealogy world. You've spoken yes. at Rootstack. Um, you know, you are the kind of uh, go-to authority on this stuff. So we're going to wrap it up with the question that we ask from all of our guests. And that is, uh, Diane, what does being a member of the church mean to you? So I've been thinking about this. When we first moved to Florida almost seven years ago, one of the first things we did is just jump into missionary work because there's so much that you can do. Um, We started having the missionaries bring over a family into our home, and it was a woman, a single mom, and her three kids. And one of the first lessons that we had with the missionaries, they essentially asked me this question, like, tell our investigator what being a member of the church means to you. And I was so overwhelmed by the question because to me— it permeates every single aspect of my life. Like I don't have an identity or a purpose or anything without the gospel. Like this is it. This is all I want to do. This is all I want to be. This is 
all I dream about. I just want to be in the place that the Lord wants me to be. And there's no better feeling. Like I said, when I was writing this book, I had that you're in the right place. Like that's all I want. I don't care where it Mm. is. I don't care. I I could be anywhere. As long as I know that this is what the Lord wants me to do. It just brings so much peace and joy and excitement. There's so (laughs) much excitement when you know you're on the Lord's errand in whatever aspect of your life you're in. So to me, being a member of the church means that I'm on the path And I'm being led on this plan that will eventually make me more like my Heavenly Father. And along the way, I get to have all of these incredible experiences and meet all of these wonderful people and be a part of a family. It's it's everything. The gospel is everything. I love it. She is a wife. She is a mother. She is a leading authority in the world of DNA and genealogy. And she is definitely making this great world a much, much better place. Diane Southard, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Sean. And my special thanks to my guest, Diane Southard. She is so energetic. It actually got me excited about family history. I have actually had some cool things come up as I've done a little bit. I've waded in just into the water of family history. I've mentioned before that my, I think it's my second cousin, uh, Monty, how we ended up meeting through family history was so crazy. And then recently we found out that, gosh, his grandmother was at my grandfather's house during the census. And it does really get exciting when you start uh, peeling back the layers and just really cool. So Diane, thank you for the great work you do and for coming on the show. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, I went through something and I don't know if everybody's going through it sometimes, but uh, today's Sunday as I'm recording this and yesterday, Saturday, I got up and worked out and kind of was going about my going about my business, you know, regular Saturday had a list of things. And all of a sudden, it just kind of hit me like a brick wall. I, I don't know what it was, but I just climbed into bed and felt no energy and felt depressed and was just kind of struggling. And I just felt tired. And all day, I kind of wasn't sure what was really going on, but I was having a hard time just getting motivated and being up. And I just kind of felt a little bit sad, a little bit depressed. And that's not really normally me. And I had a rough day. I'll just be honest. The whole thing was really rough. And this morning as I woke up and I prayed and I I prayed to try to understand why I felt the way I did yesterday. And it's kind of funny. An answer, I think, kind of came through Facebook uh, I when I post on Facebook, I only post a few a few things. First of all, I use Facebook as a travel log. I tend to check in, and I like that I can go back and kind of see where I've been. So I post my travels there. I also tend to post my uh, my adventures and failures in barbecue and smoking meats, which is kind of a hobby of mine. So I tend to post that there as well. And then the third is either my great love and excitement for or frustration with the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, this morning I got on Facebook and a memory popped up. 
And I like that they do that. That makes me happy. I don't think to go in and check memories. But a memory popped up from six years ago. And six years ago today, my wife and I were in New York City. And we had gone to see a concert for uh, a singer that we both really like, uh, who was performing there. And it was at Carnegie Hall. And it was just amazing. And it was so fun to look through those pictures six years ago of just me and my wife hanging out in New York for the weekend was really cool. So I clicked on the memories page to see what else happened. And this is all on this actual day on April 26th. And three years ago, on April 26th, I was flying to Cancun. I was going with some customers. They had a kind of as a reward for their best salespeople, and I was uh, allowed to go. And it was so fun to go to Cancun, and what a wonderful time that was. Four years ago, my wife and I were at the Mount Timpanogos Temple, and we did a, a temple date night and took a picture out in front of the temple. Five years ago today, uh, I was with my daughter Chloe at Disneyland, and we were having just a really good time, and that was exactly five years ago. And then six years ago, uh, I mentioned we were in New York. Seven years ago, I was playing tennis with my sons during the day and then performing that night. And eight years ago, I was at Disneyland with my, my son, JC. The final one was nine years ago. Nine years ago, I was in Boca Raton, Florida, and uh, I was obviously watching the Lakers as they were getting ready to go on to the second round of the playoffs. All these things just made me smile. I was so happy to see each one of them. All the things that I love. I love Disneyland. I love hanging out with my kids. And I love watching the Lakers play. I love New York City, spending time with my wife. I love performing with friends like Jason Hewlett uh, and being able to do comedy or to speak in front of large crowds. I love all these things so much, and especially to see four years ago when my wife and I were at the temple. And I realized as an answer to prayers that I got to see all this because every single one of these things is gone right now. And it hurts. I want it back. (laughs) I'm not very patient. And I got to admit, I want it back. I want to go to the temple with my wife. And I want to go to Disneyland. And I want to watch the Lakers play. And I want to go to New York. I want to spend time with my older kids. I don't want to be quarantined anymore. And it hurts, and it's depressing, and it's painful. And I think as an answer to my prayers, that's why I saw all this today, is that all these things are real, and you may be going through them too. And that's okay. It's okay that we are. It's okay to acknowledge the grief. And I'm sure that me being able to play tennis with my kids or me being able to go to Disneyland in the big picture where there are people getting sick and dying Yeah, it's small. Yes, it's just an inconvenience. And yes, hopefully this time will pass and things will get better. And we will get back to some semblance of normal and we'll get to go to the temple and we'll get to do all these things. But I think it's okay to acknowledge that it's painful. And the thing I'm most grateful for is that I get to take that to the Lord and lay it at his feet. And sometimes we break down, and I think we have to give each other that space to fall apart a little bit, because, man, this is a difficult time. And I say this is difficult. I don't have small children. 
I have, you know, a wife who's here with me. I have my job still. There are people going through much worse than I am. But I really am grateful for the atonement and that it allows me to go through the pain of missing the Lakers when this would normally be playoff season and to miss Disneyland and to miss spending that time with my children and to miss going into the temple of the Lord. He is there. The atonement is there for each and every one of us. And this is another reason it's there. Let's embrace this pain. Let's not try to pretend like it's not real and it's not happening. And let's embrace it. Let's give it to the Lord and then let's move on. And that's what I'm trying to do today as we've had such a blessed Sabbath, as we took the sacrament in our home, and as we watched some conference talks, and as we really spent some good Sabbath time together. I'm so grateful for my Savior, grateful for the atonement, and grateful for each and every one of you for listening and for all the uplifting, incredible guests we have in this wonderful church that we have. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. We really appreciate it. If you want to reach out to me directly, I can be reached at Sean at LatterdayLives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com. We are on Facebook and Instagram as well. Please, if you're not following us there, check it out. That's where we post our upcoming guests and we give you updates. And if you are so inclined, if you could leave us a review, we are incredibly grateful for it. I think there are a lot of people with a lot of downtime now because suddenly uh, the last several weeks, our numbers have just been way up and we're so grateful we get to share these positive life stories. Well, that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.